And my solution to that was let's connect with people who have positive feelings. And, you know, if I'm connecting with people who are doing well or people who are passionate or people who are positive, then maybe that will rub off on me, which really, really worked out. And if you jump 20 years down the line where I am today, networking is the most complex and the most beautiful uh, skill set and mindset that we can continuously practice in our lives. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that sermon comes from our friend Gil Petersol, a networking and mastermind coach who unveils the mindset for successful networkers. Also in today's episode, Gil addresses the purpose of networking, explains the difference between hunger and passion, and unveils what makes a good relationship. So folks, before we begin, this episode was recorded and streamed live on our new Crowdcast platform where listeners can tune in live and ask relevant questions in real time for free. And if you want to partake in any of these free interviews, all you got to do is just follow us on any social media platform to be notified of the next podcast. All right, that's it for me. Please welcome the real Gil Petersoul. Enjoy. Yes, let's go live. It says, starting, it says, take a deep breath. Three, two, one. And we are live. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, here today to talk about networking and the mastermind methodology is our friend Gil Petersall. Gil, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here with you, Kevin. I'm coming all the way from the other side of the world from Bali. So let's make some magic happen. Bali, one of my favorite places in the world. Now, where are you exactly in Bali? I'm in the center, the heart of Bali in Abud, in a beautiful new home that we've just moved into. We went from being on vacation to being quarantined to decided that this is home. Interesting. Now, I think we we went over this a little bit before, but I'll, I'll put this on the record. I think the best people in the world live in Bali. Would you agree with that? I don't know if it's the best people in the world, but right now, based on the situation that's going on in the world, I think that being in Bali is a great place for our family because people here are quite calm. They're quite forgiving. They're quite understanding. And, you know, you don't really feel stress in the air. So I think overall, this is a wonderful place for us right now. What I'm just curious, what drew you to Bali? Um, So we've been living in uh, Singapore for the last few years. And the first time I actually came to Bali was uh, my uh, wedding anniversary uh, about six years ago. And it was a decision uh, a night before, basically the night before the wedding. My wife and I were like, okay, we now need to decide where we go on our honeymoon. So Bali became it. And it was the funniest thing ever because we didn't actually book the hotel until we landed in Bali. So that one month kind of really make us fall in love with what many call Mother Bali. Because nature here is quite, you know, nature knows how to hold on to you. And in the last few years, we've been just coming here for a month at a time, sometimes during the, you know, the spring, sometimes during the winter season where, well, winter, it was winter, you know, in other places in Europe. But really here, it's always the same throughout the year. It's wonderful. And just the energy of this place, people who are here are very much in flow, incredible entrepreneurial community who are super Mm. successful digital nomads, just like ourselves. Beautiful families, and I think some of the greatest awakened schools in the world for our young kids. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I was in Bali, they're all about the mind, the spirit, uh, the environment, nature, things like that. Mm. So uh, when we say mastermind methodology, I just thought this would be a great fit for you. Wow. That's why he's in Bali. Well, it's it's interesting. So there's two things that really are holding on to me here in Bali, and it's the mastermind and it's the master heart. Um, both are really, really important in order to become a stronger individual, in order to attract more prosperity into your life, in order to learn how to really go through successful failures or, you know, F-ups. I'm not going to say the F word, but life is all about going through F-ups and getting back up as a leader and understanding, hey, I got work to do because I got great power and that means I got great responsibility. And Bali, for me at least, and I know many, many people within our community, allows you to rejuvenate faster and Bali gives you that energy because the food here is extremely fresh and healthy. If you eat fish, you know, someone can fish it, you know, in, in one of the, you know, the, the beaches around and within a couple hours of it being fished, it could be on your plate. Uh, and just the amount of nature that's here and you see nature grows so quickly here. And the funny thing is that some people have experienced your nails and your hair will also grow much faster here in Bali. So coming here, I feel that I'm actually getting younger and healthier every day. So maybe explain to us before I go, I could go, I could talk about Bali all day. I really could. And I'd love to do that. And I'm sure I'll in, in, intertwine a few Bali uh, uh, lessons throughout this podcast. But this mastermind methodology, what is it? When I hear mastermind methodology, I think, okay, okay, what is it really? You know, mastermind, great word. How do I train my mind? What is this methodology? What are you teaching? So, you know, masterminds have been around for thousands of years. When I started doing my research uh, about five years ago, it was because I was inspired by Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, who really brought up masterminds that a Western world is something to understand where you could truly, you know, gain more from the collective genius. When minds come together, they could put something into each other's minds, which is really a beautiful way of thinking it. But if you go back thousands of years where, you know, you had these old, old tribes sitting around a fire and potentially they had some sort of a special stick. Some of them had a little pipe and it was all based on a methodology that was potentially either connected to algorithms. So they they would potentially smoke the pipe, put it down, wait until the smoke runs out and then they would pass it on to someone else. And when that pipe was in front of them, everyone was looking at them. They had the, the auditorium, the mic, the microphone was in their hands and they were able to speak. Now, back then, hmm. it created order, it created stability and structure. I got into masterminds five years ago from a personal development need. I needed to develop myself. I needed to actually shut myself up sometimes because I used to be at different events, at different dinners, and I used to be the one talking too much because it came from the introvert and the immigrant inside of me who wanted to step out and be in the, in the, in, in the spotlight and actually gain some attention from people. Mm-hmm. And I understood that I went from being an intro, introvert and immigrant to the extreme of being in a spotlight, you know, everybody always listening to me. And I felt that that was not the right thing for me. And masterminds allow me very, very easily to shine the light on every single person. And my job as a facilitator is really to hold space. So if you think of it in simple, in simple ways, Mastermind is a group of, let's just say, eight people is a really, really powerful group. I like eight. 
Seven is great. Nine is pushing it. Ten, I think, is already too much. Mm. It doesn't matter what backgrounds they have. It doesn't matter what levels of society they're in. As long as they're willing to come in and be vulnerable and ask for help or advice or asking for, you know, please, everyone, shine light on this opportunity in my life, challenge and opportunity. And then they're willing to listen with an open heart. Masterminds trains you to do that constantly because as adults, we forget to ask for help. Not only forget, but we become so proud of ourselves that we stop asking for help at around the age of nine. Especially as men, we actually do it around the age of seven. We stop asking for help. Like as someone who has kids, my daughter is four years old. No, I can do it. No, I can do it, daddy. I can do it. You're four years old. Let me help you. And that's really bad because for the entrepreneurs and the corporate leaders out there, we must constantly learn to ask for help and be open to receive help. And it's not feedback. It's I'm sharing experience from my story. I'm giving you advice on something that I've experienced personally myself. So it's structured in a beautiful way. And if you have the right facilitator that holds space, then everybody comes out a winner because what actually happens is you get very up-to-date insights, opportunities, connections from relevant people. It's an interesting concept. So you mentioned a few things about uh, your upbringing, your emigration, uh, maybe a few of the inputs that made you have a few outputs that you didn't like. Maybe explain to our audience, just give our audience a, a brief background of kind of who Gil Petersall is and, and where you come from. So thank you for that. Um, you know, so I was born in Israel. That's where I originally come from. That's where my, my you know, my soul and body came together into this beautiful earth. And I lived there for 10 years with my family, of course. And as a young kid, you know, I, I asked my, my parents and my cousins a lot about this. I was the shy guy. Um, I was really, really shy kid. I was playing with sticks. I was playing with my cat. My bedroom flipping through books was my favorite thing to do. And I was flipping through books, specifically not reading them. I didn't understand back then what it meant. But years ago, when I actually understood that I have severe dyslexia, I understood why back then I was just flipping through books, not actually reading books. Um, now, back then, you know, I didn't really know what networking was. I didn't really know what masterminds were, of course. But what happened back then, it was, it was all about just having fun. You know, I was, I was young. I was 10 years old. So, you know, it was fun. And when I was 10, I remember clearly one day in the summer, uh, it was around ju- middle of July, my dad came home and said, I got some big news. Everyone, please sit down. We're moving to Canada. And that was a significant new news in my life. Um, are you still with me? I see that I lost you a little bit, Kevin. I'm still just wanted here, to yeah. make sure. Yeah, you're perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure here. Sometimes being on the other side of the world, you don't know if the internet is working or not. It happens. So what was, um, what was quite special and, and unique about that opportunity is that at the age of 10, moving to Canada, I didn't really know back then, I guess it was ignorance of a 10-year-old, that people wouldn't speak my language. And I was speaking Hebrew at the time. So I show up in Canada, you know, needing to learn French. I showed up in Montreal and then English came in only a few years later, but English never really came in from school. And the understanding of the importance of network really started back then where 
I had to make friends. I had to make a brand new set of connections within a brand new place that I just moved into. And it was very special is if you jump 10 years and I'm 20 years old and I'm, I've just moved to England, to London because of a job opportunity and I'm in an exact same position. This is 21 years ago. There is no Facebook. Social media is not really active out there. So I'm brand new in a country. I don't have any friends. I have five people that I'm working with in the company. For me, in my head, they're all kind of boring and weird, you know? So I'm new in a country. I had to start again to build that network. I had to struggle and try. How do I make friends? How do I find a girlfriend? So I tried everything, speed dating, online dating. I tried everything. And I'm talking about trying everything. Not tried it once and succeeded. Tried it hundreds and hundreds of times and failed again and again and again. And the great thing with speed dating is that if you know you have... 15 women on, on one of these events, and you know you're going to spend five minutes with each one of them. At one stage, I stopped worrying about the first five women because all I had to do is survive five minutes. All I had to do is just get good questions across and listen to her. I had to just understand how to build that initial rapport. And I knew that I'm practicing because number six, number seven, number eight, I'll do much better. I'll be a lot more confident. And it's interesting, again, if you jump 10 years, when I'm 30 years old, I show up in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, Russia. And again, social media was already there. But again, I had to start all over again. Connections, opportunities. I was there always, until my early 30s, I was always having jobs. Anything from in Canada, it used to be with, like in, in Canada, it was with Walmart distribution. We're doing consulting with a consultant coming to Walmart in England. It was the banking industry with cash machines. Then in England, it was the organic health and beauty industry, setting up retail shops and distribution companies all throughout Europe. And that brought me to Russia. But what was always interesting, Kevin, is that my journey was always in many different industries. Uh, like many people who are probably listening to this, I have not received a formal education. I failed out of multiple high schools, kind of cheated through college in order to pass it and never went to university because I was completely lost in life. And back then, I didn't know it was dyslexia and ADHD that was holding me back. I didn't know how to use it. You know, so when I showed up in Canada, that's when my entrepreneurial spirit really started to flourish because throughout my whole life, since the age of 14, I always had some kind of a project on the side. Something was there. Something was I was trying to experience because I felt something inside. And it's really in the last 10 years where the entrepreneur stepped out and I understood how to use my ADHD and dyslexia that I always thought was a, a disability. I understood how to use it as an ability, a super ability. So dyslexia, not being able to write or read very, very easily. I started listening to audiobooks. And now I'll listen to three to five audiobooks sometimes per day, sometimes per week. It's awesome. I'm going through hundreds of books a year. My ADHD became from not being able to focus on one thing. I was like, don't focus on one thing. Be a serial entrepreneur. Run multiple businesses at the same time. So in one day, I can have three different interviews about different things. I can have three different meetings about three completely different businesses and still being able to have, you know, whatever I want to have with networking, which is following up with 20 to 50 people per day. So where I am today is this person who I've had to reinvent again and again because the version that was there in that country was not the one that was, it, was my, it wasn't my best self. So I've continuously upgraded that person. I've continuously upgraded the accent I have today. This is not the accent I had 10 years ago. 
I completely upgraded that accent. I upgraded how I am as an introvert and as an immigrant. I had to switch out of that to become a stronger person so I could serve people. And in the last eight years, we've been able to take all of our businesses and bring them all to one heart. And the one heart is build businesses connected to personal development, connected to gathering people together, whether it's online or offline, whether it's supporting them to step out of their comfort zones and building communities around the world. We've worked with the greatest people in the world for the last eight years. I've managed to become the biggest um, a regional promoter for Tony Robbins in the world, bringing more than 5,000 people every year to his events globally. I've met him many, many times. I've been to his house, worked with Eckhart Tolle, Keith Ferrazzi, Jay Abraham, the greatest people in the world. And while doing that and serving them, I became a speaker on my own. Universities started to call me up and say, hey, can you teach our entrepreneurs a little bit about networking? I was like, I don't know how to teach this stuff. Yeah, yeah, can you come in? And I had to learn how to teach it. I had to learn something that became a necessity in my life to serve me so that I can survive became something I could teach the world. And since, you know, the last seven years, I've done over a thousand events, both online and offline, mostly offline for governments, corporations. And it's always come down to how do you help people build communities, upgrade their networks, think way outside of the box when they want to change industries, change countries. What I went through, I've become an expert in being able to teach others and give that gift to others, which is something I feel very blessed on that I can give that, you know, the pain that I went through, others don't need to go through. Now, Gil, the networking, was this, was the original intention of networking, what? Was it to fill a void that you had? Was it to overcome an obstacle? Hey, I'm the new immigrant in town. I'm getting overlooked. I want to become somebody. Was it you know, I'm going to do this as many times as possible and get better and better and better and build myself confidence and get a lot of wins. What exactly to you is the purpose of networking? So what it was for me is all of the above, really all of the above. And there's a few more, you know, networking at one stage was like, you know, when I was in my early 20s, 21 exactly, actually, and I was in England, brand new in London, uh, I had two very simple motivation at that exact moment. Uh, that was around um, springtime. And uh, I remember so clearly after work, my mom calls me up, tells me that my parents are getting a divorce. Um, and if I could help her out with money. And I was like, whoa, shit, you know, I don't have really a lot of savings. Like this is like, you know, complete massive shock. And in the same time in my life, you know, I'm, I'm new in England. I'm a young guy. You know, <laughs> young men want to do something with young women at that stage of our lives. So it was a necessity back then. One, step out of your comfort zone right now and find ways of making more money right now so you can help your family. And number two, you're lonely. Like you're after, every single day after work, you go home and you watch TV and you scroll the web. And, you know, it, it, things that were not, you know, I didn't think that they were healthy at the time. I didn't understand that it weren't healthy, but they didn't feel right to me. It was, I was sad, man. I was depressed. I had a good job and everything, but I didn't have any friends. So the idea for me of going on many, many dates became my solution for making friends. Like I actually stayed friends with many, many of those women. And I ended up getting invited to birthday parties and friends, you know, and through them, I built an extensive, massive network in England. And that became kind of a, a superpower, 
And through that superpower, I understood that, well, actually I can set up businesses and I can help people. And then it became this need of, I love organizing things. And like, can I organize events? And I messed up at so many events early on, but I ended up organizing barbecues to feel popular. And I just wanted attention. I really wanted attention because, hey, I was brand new in, in England and I was alone in England. I didn't have any family and I didn't have a lot of money to fly back and see my family. I didn't have so much money to call my family. And back then I was a lot more proud, you know, and I had a much bigger ego than I have today. And I didn't even want to call my family and tell them bad news that I'm lonely and I have no money. So I just stopped calling them. It means like, well, if you're not calling people to talk to them and you're not sharing anything with anyone, then there's a lot of negative feelings that go inside of you. And my solution to that was let's connect with people who have positive feelings. And, you know, if I'm connecting with people who are doing well or people who are passionate or people who are positive, then maybe that will rub off on me, which really, really worked out. And if you jump 20 years down the line where I am today, networking is the most complex and the most beautiful uh, skill set and mindset that we can continuously practice in our lives. It's something that I wish that schools will teach kids on, you know, if you're looking at the top five habits that a human being should have, networking should be there on the top five. You know, how we network and how we talk to strangers and why, why is it important to be nice to strangers by default? Like I, am te- I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-and-a-half-year-old boy. And my boy is a little too young to understand it, but my daughter just turned four. And I've been having conversations with her, what is networking, teaching her why it's important to talk to new kids if they show up in the school and why it's important to, you know, to talk to, the, to strangers sometimes. But again, there's a red line between talking to a random stranger somewhere on the street here in Bali, I feel quite safe, actually, but it's important that she's comfortable if, if a parent of one of the kids shows up that it, and they say, hi, Ellie, it's okay for her to respond instead of her going into her cocoon, which like myself and, and my wife, Kate, you know, she, our daughter, our kids are also going to be little introverts and shy in the beginning because they're an extension of us. So I want to teach her why it's so important to connect with people and serve people and you know, to meet people as the greatest assets that we can ever have in our lives. And I call them assets because it's energy. Um, people can give you more time. People can give you more money. People can give you more energy. Mm. And if you look at these resources that we have as human beings, if we know how to work with people and how to ask them for help or how to like delegate things to them, we have a lot more freedom. If we know how to be nice to them and connect with them and serve them and like just be grateful to them, then we'll have positive energy. And if we know how to interact with them and how to have ethical deals with them and how to like try to really look for win-win, we'll make more money. Mm. And I've learned that this is simple hacks that anyone could bring into their lives. So what makes good energy? What makes a good relationship to you? So that's cool questions. I love your questions, man. Um, I like your answers. Yeah, what makes good energy? Um, so that's a very complex question. You know, based on who your audience is, I don't want to take them too much into the esoteric life and, you know, how to, how to embody strong energy and how to bring that into the life. Everything. Yeah, but I'll bring it into the business world, things that it's important for leaders, things that's important for entrepreneurs, things that's practical and important right now in everyday life. So let's look at it this way. You wake up in the morning, your shoulder hurts a little bit. What do you do? You massage it a little bit. You stretch a little bit. You do some push-ups. 
You know, I had an amazing, you know, hour workout this morning with my trainer. And it's a brand new trainer in my life who only works with my body, no weights. We use my body as a weight. So you make an adjustment to make yourself feel good. That's energy movement. Yeah. If um, you want to buy a beautiful big TV or a car or something materialistic, you want to buy an experience, a vacation, you need money for that. You need to exchange to bring that into your life. When it comes to energy that you would get from other human beings. So as humans, we have very, very advanced frequencies. Um, for many, many years, I've been studying human frequencies and emotional vibrations in humans. So uh, nature, animals, and humans all have frequencies that we transmit to each other. And to try to simplify it as much as possible, you know how sometimes you might be thinking about someone like in a really, really nice way, like you miss them or like you need their help, and they send you a message or they call you. And they're like, wow, I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about calling you. I don't think that's random. I'm sorry. It happens way too much in our lives for it to be random. You know, and if someone is listening and it's never happened to you, please give me a call and I'll, 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 I'll make a small adjustment in your frequencies in and you'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, um, what happens to me when it comes to energy, for example, you know, practical, real example to everyone who's listening. Beginning of March, COVID hit the world. I got a massive multi-million dollar business in events and in tourism. Holy schmoly. Within 24 hours, whole multi-million dollar business stops with massive liabilities, massive problems, huge events, huge expenses, a big team. Everything stops. Oh, my God. What would most people do and what did most people do? They focused inwards. How do I fix my problem? How do I get out of this jam? Ah, how do I make money? What did I do? I called people that I knew were doing well. I called people who I knew were resourceful. I called people I knew were positive. I, know, I called people who I believed in so much. And I exchanged energy with them. I exchanged energy, not by saying, oh my God, help me, I need money. By telling them, yeah, you know, the shit has hit the fan for me as well. Tell me, what are you doing? How are you adjusting to this current situation? And what I did is I exchanged energy with them. And after every single conversations that might have been even five or 10 minutes long, some of them were much longer, I was left with much more energy. I was left more confident, more passionate. If these guys could do it, yes, I can. And I was like, I came to my team. I was like, guys, let's innovate and let's pivot. And like, let's learn from this guy in e-commerce. And what could we do here? And let's grow from that guy in, in food distribution. And look at these farms here in Bali and how they are. Let's pivot our business. So the idea of energy management is extremely important. And an easy way to manage energy is, first of all, and I don't want to sound cheesy, but the whole idea of thinking positively, it's not, uh, it might sound strange to a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm not going to stop listening to this guy thinking positive, like the Tony Robbins guy, you know? First of all, it's not about thinking positive, oh, money, please come into my life. It's thinking positive about others, specifically. When you think in a complimentary way about other human beings, whether they're in front of you or not, your body will be completely filled up with energy. And I'm talking about first thing in the morning, you're somewhere in your city, whether you're in London tube, whether you're in the Moscow Metro, whether in your, the New York Metro, you know, busy place, a lot of people rushing, going, going, going. Everybody looks like they're going to a funeral. Everybody's in their phone. Everybody's in a book, in a newspaper. 
everyone is rushing. Everyone is pushing each other. And you just stand there and look around and don't say anything, but just look at the beauty of people. Look around you and look for anything beautiful about people, the way they stand, the book they have, the watch they're wearing, their smile, their glasses, their hair. Look for beauty in any individual. I'm not just saying look for the sexy women if you're a guy. I'm talking about look for beauty in people. And then if you want to go deeper, try to look at people and say, wow, that person looks really confident. Or that person looks really happy. Don't look for the sad people. Because as humans, we do that too much. We look for the sad people. We look for the criticism. And if we want to lift ourselves up in energy, we need to send positive energy out there. And that energy just gets reflected back. And it's a really beautiful way of being able to manage that. And there's a lot of tips and life hacks that I'd be so be happy to give today it, and, and how to bring that back up so that in business, if you're being pushed down or in a relationship in life, if you're being pushed down, how do you regain that back up and come back as a champion, as a leader? Well, Gil, did I mention that you have the nicest beard out of anyone that's come on this show? This, this well, is my Corona know, beard, by the way. If you didn't know, now this you know. Is, uh, I've never had a beard in my life. Uh, this is just when Corona hit. I was like, what am I going to do to kind of to to be a part of the change? Because if change is happening in the world, we must not stay still. The worst thing that a human being can do when he sees change around him is to stay still and wait for it to go by. So many people said, I'll wait until it's okay again, or I'll wait until we're back to normal. That is a horrible position to be in. If you see change happening, you must allow your body to be like water. You must allow your body to adjust and be with the change. So this for me was very, very simple. I'm a part of change. And I decided to not shave my beard. And like, I'm learning how to adjust it. By the way, if anyone who's listening, who's a super expert in beard trimming and stuff, send me a message. I'll, I'll ask you to do a couple of video calls with me on how to take care of all this. Take care of Gil, people. Uh, I appreciate that. Now, Gil, um, I like your, I like the notion of the exchange of energy, giving the positive energy. If you can give positive energy, you're going to realize that. You're going to understand that. It's going to live through you. It's going to flow through you. And then in times of need, you're going to be able to reach out to that, that energy that you, your mind will never forget and you can reach out to. Now, how do you build that energy? How do you build rapport with somebody? What are some pieces of advice you can give to our audience when you first meet somebody? to give off that positive vibe. Yeah, so that's cool. So it's, you know, it's not only giving the positive vibe, mm. but it's not giving the negative vibe. I'll make it easier for everyone. Don't give the negative vibe of crossing your hands or in your mind thinking, what is this person doing? And is this person interesting? And, oh, they better prove themselves to me. Or like, well, if they're not interesting enough and they're not a potential client, I'm not going to talk to them much. Or, if she's not single, why am I going to talk to her? Like, try to stop avoiding, you know, brushing people off too quickly. It's a little bit easier for people to think that way. So what is the opposite of not brushing people off or not judging people too quickly? It's being able to be curious, for example, and be curious for three to five minutes with every individual you meet and be curious to say like, wow, this is exciting. Maybe this person potentially is someone that can introduce me to someone else. Maybe this person is someone that will teach me something new. Maybe this person is someone who his last job was exactly what my next job would be. So if I'm only speaking to them for one minute, I ask them what they do today, and I don't allow them to share their story, 
Maybe what they're doing today, they've only been doing for three months. But actually, their last job is my dream job. And all I have to do is ask them, you know, how did, how did you get into this line of work? Or, wow, what you're doing sounds really interesting. How long have you been active in this industry? Asking people questions like why questions? Why did you choose to get into this line of work? Or what are you currently focused on that's really exciting for you? Or what's your top priorities that wake you up in the morning? These might sound like weird questions, but these are questions that are powerful. They'll get people talking. They'll get you listening. And if you're listening, you're actually the powerful one in the conversation. What pe most people misunderstand and completely have misconceived in the whole networking education world is that you need to pitch yourself. Pitching yourself is the worst thing you could do. Don't pitch yourself. You can pitch yourself in front of investors. Sure, that's an elevator pitch because they're waiting and they're asking for you to pitch in three to four minutes on average. That's if an investor says, tell me your business. If someone asks you what you do, what you want to do is actually say what it is that you do in about 30 seconds and then right away send it back to them. Right away get them speaking. Now, why about 30 seconds? 30 seconds is about 50, 60 words. You know, an average minute of a human being speaking is usually 120 to 150 words on average. If you cannot describe to people what you do in, in less than 30 seconds, there is something wrong with you. Now, the extreme opposite is, please, ladies and gentlemen, stop introducing yourself in one to three words. I'm an accountant. I'm a sales consultant. I'm a sales rep for IBM. Uh, I'm a teacher. That is horrible. No one cares what is your position on your business card. No one cares about that. When they ask you what you do, actually what they're asking you, can you tell me how you are useful to the world today? Instead of saying I'm a teacher, you could say, well, you know, my biggest passion these days and my involvement is really working with the future leaders of tomorrow, working with kids the age of 13 to 15 in a school that I'm very proud to work on. And it's exciting to me because one day I want to have kids of my own. As an example, that is saying so much to someone. You're telling them it's a passion. You're telling them you don't have kids. You're telling them you're working with specific age groups. Don't tell people you're a sales consultant. You could say to people, well, I support people to understand if, you know, if, if they're looking to have the right sort of, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're a sales consultant for a CRM company, you know, connecting it to networking. You could say to people, We're, we work with organizations that are looking to have their database of clients and important people in a more organized and secure way to make sure that their team is able to manage that network and that community in the most effective and beautiful way. It's an example. And people would say, wow, like, what does that mean? Or like, wow, tell me more. Like, when you're telling to people what you do, you need to be thinking, how do I open up their curiosity? Hmm. Not how do I sell them? Not how do I just give that answer? Sometimes when people give an answer of what they do, it's like, it's really clear that you hate your job. Like, please, if you hate your job, please stay at home and read books until you find a way to get out of that, you know, awful comfort zone. Don't go networking. Don't tell people what you do. If you hate your job, how about you give them an answer of like, you know, well, you know, my job is not actually the most important thing in my life. My passion for actually, I don't know, <laughs> building ant farms or flying drones is actually what I spend a lot of my time on. And the current job I have is just something to hold me up and so I can support my family. But I'm actually looking for a new opportunity in my life. Nice. You're being honest and authentic. You're telling them what you love which is potentially a common passion, you're telling them that you have passions. People love 
knowing that you have a passion. Because if you have a passion for anything in life, you have drive, you have energy, you have hobbies, you have something that can connect you with other human beings. You're not a boring, boring robot who goes to the office every day and does a job that you really despise. Because unfortunately, more than 80% of the world do not like their job. So if people are networking out there, one, practice how you introduce yourself in five different ways in front of complete strangers and listen carefully to their response. Watch the way they do things. Number two, whenever you walk into any kind of network opportunity, whether it's an office meeting, whether it's a, an event, whether it's a birthday party, whether it's a pub, whatever it really is, walk in confident like you own the place, shoulder up, chest forward, walk in, stop at the entrance. Even if you see your friends, don't walk up to them. Walk in, look at the event, do a 180 of looking at the whole event and compliment people from the heart. Like in your mind, you're complimenting people. You're looking around, you're looking around, you're seeing beautiful people. First of all, for the, the men joining this, uh, joining this podcast and listening, every single woman in that place will notice you very quickly and she will see you as a sexy man because that is confidence. That is owning your space. That is walking in with power. Second thing you do because you're complimenting people, you're already choosing, you know, if you're hunting for a potential client, which is okay sometimes, or you're hunting for a potential life partner or a sex partner, whatever it is, you're already noticing people that you want to walk up to afterwards. So you can then go and talk to your friends for five or 10 minutes, and then you could start walking to those people that you felt that magnetic attraction to. And because you complimented them, realistically, your vibration hit each other. And if they noticed you, they're ready for you to come and see them. And the most important part of networking is the follow-up. Most human beings, including myself, should never rank themselves in an 8 on 10 or even a 7 on 10 on follow-ups. On my best days, my best and greatest abilities in networking in general, I'm a 6 out of 10. If you look at the complexities of networking, of personal branding and online networking and managing social medias and managing relationships at different levels of society to follow-ups, everything connected to networking, which is ridiculously complex, on my best days, I'm a 6 on 10. I've written books about it. I've been on multiple covers of magazines about it. And I've spoken about it in front of some of the most important people in the world. And I'm still a 6 on 10. So everyone who's listening, try to decide who you are and how, how would you rank yourself on networking? And then all you got to do is try to go to a higher level. All I ever try to do is become a seven on 10. That's it. If I can become a seven on 10, wow, that is exponential growth. And when it comes to following up with people, what I like to tell people is a little story about that farmer who planted a bamboo tree for the first time in his life. Bamboo plant, sorry. And I have bamboo plants all over around my house in Bali. It's awesome. And I didn't even choose, like, I, I didn't even see them when I took this house. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, my God, I've been speaking with bamboos for so And I'm looking that way because they're right there in front of me. But I've been speaking Nature with bamboos provides. for the last 10 years. And the power of a bamboo plant, that farmer that planted that bamboo didn't do his research and didn't know that it took an average of five years from the time you planted it until anything comes out of the ground. He didn't do his research. He didn't understand that. And when it comes to networking, it's the same thing. Do your research and understand that great results come from waiting. You don't have to wait five years, but you have to wait and contribute. That farmer had to give water and had to take care of the soil every single day for five years. That farmer 
had to make sure there is no pesticides. Had to make sure he takes care of that earth, hoping that five years down the line, a bamboo plant will grow and he could then make money out of it. Imagine that craziness. Imagine the craziness of my patients when I started to, to work with Tony Robbins the first time and we came to his event and we started promoting his events. I had to wait for three years until I finally got to meet him. Three years until I got to meet him and I got his approval and appreciation for what I've been doing within his organization for so many years. I was patient. I had to wait for another three years until he invited me to his home for one-on-one -on -one meetings. Most people meet someone and they send them an up, a, 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 you know, they send them a proposal. Most people meet someone and they try to sleep with them on the same night. Most people meet someone, they're expecting, how can I convert this person right away? Networking is really about being able to continuously serve people until that tree has grown and has flourished and you're ready to pick that fruit. That to me is really the essence of networking. Planting a beautiful field, a, a haven around you of different trees, of different quality people from different corners in the world and in different industries. Because as we go through life, new challenges come in, new opportunities come in. We might need someone in a different industry. We might need someone in a different country. And that's when you can go to that person because you've added value. You followed up maybe every three, six months and asked them how they're doing. You sent them a free ebook. You recommended a movie. You invited them to an event that wasn't even yours, but you recommended an event because you went to. I have a philosophy. Why go to any event ever alone? Never go to an event alone. It's the stupidest thing ever. Always invite people with you. Today, I could pretty much get invited to any event in the world I want to, to the highest, most closed VIP events in the world. As soon as they hear me and they Google me, they understand one simple thing. I'm not going to show up alone. I'll show up with an entourage. Now, to a Tony Robbins event, I can easily show up with a thousand people behind me. A thousand people behind me. And I've done this many, 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 many times. I could show up to an art gallery. When Selfridges did massive things in, uh, in, in Moscow, they did some private events. They contacted me. Can you show up? Yeah, of course I could. Can you bring 10 high level people? Yeah, of course I could. No problem. You know, so if you're showing up an event, you can add value to your network, people that you've met, and you can add value to the event organizer. So following up is this ability to add value to people until you're ready to ask for value from that person. Gil, what do you think holds people back? And out of these 1,000 people, I'm sure you've been able to transform some of their mindsets, uh, some of their wealth, some of the way they look and perceive themselves. But where were they beforehand? And, and what do you think holds most people back from achieving their potential? Um, it's very simple. So there's three different levels of what holds people back. Number one is always fear. Yeah. Fear of rejection, a fear of not knowing what to say, um, a fear of that person, uh, you know, fear of, of making yourself look foolish. And there's a lot of fears that people have when we got to networking. And all of those fears are 100 percent, you know, correct. Please have those fears. They like networking is not easy. Like if you need to go and sit in front of an audience and play the piano, but you've only played the piano five times in your life. Yeah, you better have some fears, but there's no way you're going to play a good, you know, Mozart if you only played five times. That's why I tell people networking is like working a muscle. You got to practice, 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 practice. And 
practice by monitoring yourself. So for example, when I'm working with my trainer and he sees me doing a push-up and he makes small, he's like, whoa, 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 put your shoulder back, put like your arm next, like, you know, he, he makes very, very small adjustments from my muscles and my body to get the most out of it. Networking is the same. The way you stand and the way you speak and the way you introduce yourself and the way you follow up and the way you interject and the way you manage a conversation and the way you bring people together and the way you introduce people has so much diversity. So people are scared about that. That's number one. Always, I get it because they haven't been trained and they're just afraid of strangers. People are very comfortable because of limiting beliefs, which is number two. Limiting beliefs that people have is that, well, I have a network. Why do I need a friend? I have my families and friends. I'm very happy within my network. I have a great job, Gil. Why do I need a network? I'm an accountant in a company. I don't need networking because I don't need sales. Networking is for sales. Networking is for finding a job. Networking is for finding a wife or a husband. I'm very, very happy. People have so many simple limiting beliefs that is disabling them from having more energy and a more power and more resource. For me, networking is being able to really truly unleash your resourceful superpowers. I love that my number one human superpowers is being resourceful to myself and to others. You got any problem you want in the world, you can come to me and I will be able to show you how to get an answer or tell you what the answer could be. Because I understand how simple life truly is if we want to look at it from a simple point of view. And of course, we can always double click and double click and look at the complexities of life. And there is so much I don't know that I don't know, you know? So people have these fears and they have these limiting beliefs. And also they have, you know, cultural differences. And the cultural differences means that every culture has a different way of networking. You know, the Americans networking in a different way because they've been taught to be more outgoing and to be more open and to just connect to people. And the idea of networking events, I think, probably started in America. Uh, I'm, I'm, actually, I need to find out who actually I don't know. This. this is interesting. I don't know who actually created the word networking. Um, but if you search for the word networking, unfortunately, networking is still not something that humans comprehend as the most important aspect of life. We still believe as humans that networking is connected to computers. Mm. So if you search networking, it's all about IT related stuff. It's all about computers networking with themselves. But if a human has, a, you know, from, comes from one culture and moves into another culture, another country, oh my goodness, that, that is, man, I, I feel for them. That is not easy. That is difficult to move into a new country, a new country where there is a new language and you don't speak that language. And, you know, those people look different and they eat different. Oh my God, that is, that is so scary mm. to do that. And this is why people don't want to move countries. And if they do move countries, they want to only connect with people that are from their country. And Definitely. this is where people are not allowing themselves to flourish. Definitely, Guild. People are, are just innately tribal as well. It's easy to uh, stay in your own community. It's easy to stay in uh, with the people you know. And branching out is something that a lot of people have struggles with. Now, a lot of people listening to this show have been very inspired, Guild. We've had a lot of uh, you know a few questions f flying in here. Uh, and like you said, we want to give them the answers. Um, so the first question comes from Andrew. Uh, and he asks, you know, as a recent graduate, 
in charge of a business aspect for my startup, which is a very young company, what questions should I be asking myself or my team to build an effective business strategy? Um, so I want to keep the topic very much aligned to today. So Andrew, thank you for the question. So, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur for so many years and I've worked with like countless, like about a couple of thousand actually entrepreneurs. My assistant counted in January. She actually counted how many classes I had and how many mentorships I've done. And she went through the count and it was a little bit ridiculous how many entrepreneurs I've worked with. And so as an entrepreneur, it doesn't really matter what position you're in, Andrew, if you're a part of the founding team, if you're a part of a small team, one of the first things you might ask yourself is, can we audit our network? And this is something that anyone could do at any position of life, but auditing the network means internal network and external network, internal network. Who do we have in the team? Maybe freelancers and advisors. Who do we have in the team? The, this kind of team that's making this business work. And is it enough? Are we missing anyone? Is there something that the company needs that we don't currently have? It's a very important audit to understand. A lot of people just start a business with like their friends. And because I, I like, you know, this is the worst thing about trust. People think I'm trusting this person, so I should do business with them which is the worst strategy ever in business, you should do business with people because they're compatible and because they, uh, you know, they, together, their application and their mindset and your way of doing business is very, very compatible and it works. You complement each other. So first, you must audit the internal network. Are we missing anyone? Do we have, do we have what's needed in every kind of department or in the way a lot of cool startups are starting today is management pods. So do we have enough of these pods that is like a different style of a department? I don't want to get into that in order to move this business forward. And then we must look at the external network. Do we have the right suppliers? Do we have the right, you know, wh whatever business you're doing, distribution company? Do we have the right investors if you're looking for that? Do we have the right sort of client avatar that we understand we want to go after? So it's really looking at that network because what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs, they either focus too much on the product, you know, depending on their background and what kind of mindset they have, they'll focus too much on perfecting the product, which is the worst mistake you want to do. You want to have an MVP, minimum viable product, and get that product to market as soon as possible. On, um, on March 7th, when my business kind of went, uh, um, I, I kind of took me a couple of days and so I had, I had another business that was in the garage for a long time. It took me seven days to build an initial management team. And by the beginning of April, we were already selling it. And this is a, a, this is a product called Mastermind Space, mastermind.space, actually, that's the website. And it's basically giving people free content about masterminds, teaching them how to do it, and creating a marketplace with the greatest masterminds in the world in one place. Now, it wasn't a finished product. It wasn't a perfect product. So many mistakes, so many bugs, but it doesn't matter. In order to learn what the bugs are, what the mistakes are, I must take it out to my network and get feedback very quickly. Do, is the product clear? Is the product branding clear? Is the packaging clear? Is the marketing clear? Are we doing the right job with the right avatar? Who exactly is that right client that we want to go after? Which countries they live in? When looking and asking yourself all these kind of questions, you'll adjust your network to make sure that you have more of a flow in the business and you pick up momentum. And then you get your first 10 clients and your first 100 clients. And that is a big lesson I learned from a gentleman by the name of Bob Dorf, who wrote the book, The um, Customer Development Methodology. 
basically said something very simple in any given point of a business, whether you're starting or you're in, the, in a massive business, if you're looking to make a shift in a strategy, don't go and speak to 100 potential customers and ask them questions. Make sure that before you spend all this marketing budgets, go speak to people yourself, actually go out on the streets and talk to people and ask them, if I was to offer you this at this price, what would you say? Just ask people for feedback. Wow, that's great. Andrew, advice, I, I hope think. that's helpful. <laughs> that's, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's laughing right now. I'm sure that's more advice than he can handle. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We got a lot of advice or a lot of questions coming from a lot of the guys. I think you were giving a lot of uh, you know, late, you know, lady advice as well. I think that's why they keep coming in. Uh, we've got a, uh, we've got a question now from, uh, from Peter. Peter says, love it, Gil, uh, with your comments about the networking and listening to audiobooks you do every day. How do you manage your time and energy throughout the day to have some leftover for your family? Awesome question. So first of all, I got a couple of kids. I got one more kid coming up. Um, I do, uh, masterminds in my house at least once a week on a Thursday. Every, if you're in Bali, better if you come to Bali every single Thursday since COVID started. Um, six people show up in this house. We get eight people for dinner. We invite a different vegan chef every single week. I'm not vegan, but why not, you know, make it special? So a couple of things that you could, and I do a lot, by the way. I work with three different charities. I, I run seven different companies, and I'm starting more every time. A couple of things that I'll suggest to you. First of, all, app, first of all, clean the front page of whatever phone you're having. Whatever is in, forget all of these. Front page. Front page is the most important thing. That is running your life. If you got a mess there, if you got to click twice to get into anything you need, you're inefficient right away. So first of all, reading books, I don't listen to full books anymore. I understood that it was a waste of my time. It took many, many hours to listen to one book. Blinkist. Blinkist is amazing. Like books Blinkist. in 15 minutes. I wish I was a shareholder, by the way, because um, I, I talk about them a lot. Books in 15 minutes. So sometimes if I'm in the mood to learn about human motivation, to learn about clean energy, to learn about um, the alternative medical industry, which I wanted to last week because I had a client that wanted me to learn more about that. I listened to 10 books in one day. That's not much. It's 150 minutes. That's nothing. Think about it. 10 books. That's a lot of knowledge that came into my mind. And I don't have to become a genius in that subject. I need to be able to hold conversation with people who are geniuses. Number two, calendar. Um, so this is my calendar in every given day. Uh, as you could see, and I think you guys can see it. Um, this is my calendar. Uh, my assistant helps me with that. So whatever it is that you're doing in life, um, if you're in a position where you're making some money, um, get an assistant. You can get a virtual assistant today in the Philippines for two, $300 part-time a month that would help you with your emails, that would help you with your calendar, that would help you with research. Um, I haven't checked emails. Oh, this is funny. I haven't checked emails in a lot of years. Um, do you guys see this? How many emails is that? Do you see that number? What is that, 86,000? There you go, 86,000 unread emails. You know why? Because for the last three years, I've checked emails maybe 10 times. I got two women who check my emails and they just outline. That's why you're highlight. a six out of 10 on that follow-up. So I'm definitely not a 10. I wish I was a 10. Listen, if I was a 10, I would not have 221 unread messages on Telegram, which I manage myself. I wouldn't have 200 messages, 269 messages on WhatsApp that I, I manage myself. And I only have 15 on Messenger that I manage myself. But LinkedIn and, and Instagram and Facebook, I can't manage all those myself. And emails, no way. So I delegate, I outsource. And it, many of you are thinking, no way, it's private, blah, blah, blah. Forget that private. She's an assistant. She's not going to become my competitor anytime soon. She loves me. I love her. It's great. 
you build trust and I want her to be with me for years. So you find time by creating some order in your life. You find time by every single day in my calendar, and it's actually funny, but if you look at my calendar, you actually see time with family. It actually literally says to spend time with my family every single day, and that's an important part of the family time because for me to spend time with my family is important. And in the beginning, you know, when I, was, I became a new father, I was a little bit stressed and I, I kind of, you know, it was a balance between do I, you know, go make more money, do I spend more time with my kids? And now it's this position where every single morning I'm motivated to wake up earlier and I'm motivated to spend some time with my kids. And while I'm doing fitness outside here, they're having breakfast and my daughter's like, go daddy, go daddy, go daddy. So I see them before they go into school. Don't tell anyone, but my kids have been going to school for the last three months nonstop. You know, we just created our own school here with another like 10 families, just took a villa nearby and all of us just sent our kids there and we have an awesome school there. But I spent some time in the morning with them. In the evening, I like to spend some time. It's not easy. It's not always perfectly. It's not always one full hour. Every Sunday, it's full family day. We spend a lot of time together. It's amazing. Um, I have date nights with my wife. I highly recommend because I do business with my wife as well for the last eight years. We've been together for 10 years as a couple, been married for almost six years and been um, business for eight years. And date nights are very, very important. During date nights, we don't talk business. We talk passion. We talk vision. We talk dreams. We talk wishes. We, we look at our vision board. We like the house we just moved in, into a month and a half ago, we described in January of this year. We actually described in detail in January of this year, but we didn't know it was going to be in Bali because we thought we were going to go back to a house in Singapore. But we described this house with massive windows, with a big pool, with lots of nature all around. The one thing I didn't get, which is funny, it was a dream, but now I'm making it happen. I always thought about this house in January with a massive edible garden. We moved into this house. Everything we have is ornamental plants. I invited someone two weeks ago. I'm like, get rid of all of these plants. Please plant everything that I can eat in this garden. I'm not going to manage it myself. I'm not looking to be a full-time gardener. But in two weeks, my whole garden outside of the house will be edible and beautiful. So make your dreams come true by organizing your calendar, basically. You'd even eat bamboo if you could. Um, so bamboo, I will not. But bamboo, if you really wanted to, you can actually break it down. And it's a really good business opportunity for anyone who's listening. Bamboo can actually give you 14 different income streams at the same time. It's ridiculous. Damn. Most people don't know. Bamboo and hemp are actually two of the most profitable and easiest to grow um, plants in the world. And they bring so much nutrition and they bring so much more value to us as humans. All you got to do is be patient, right? Mm. Now, Graham, well, with hemp, actually not. Hemp is very, very easy to grow. Graham had a question. He says, now yeah. you're reading a lot of, on Blinkist, but how do you absorb the information? What are some things that you do? Do you write down notes? Do you rehearse? What do you do to absorb that information and relay it? Um, yeah, so, you know, in the last, I think, what is it, like 20 years, guys? It's been over information overload. Um, so, first of all, yeah, I write some things down. I believe in writing notes. I always have my, you know different notes, notebooks in front of me. I don't write perfect notes. Sometimes I like to write notes. I, this has been my thing for three years. Whenever you take a piece of paper, I fold it into three and I actually will write notes on different projects or on different, yeah, I'll write notes on different sides of the paper based on what like different, um, um, different modalities or different projects, different focuses. I'll split up my notes. 
The reason I write them on pieces of paper is because I want them out of a paper and into my phone, into digital format as, as soon as possible. Um, don't try to hold on to information, delegate information. Um, keep things in Asana or keep things in Notion or keep things in some sort of a knowledge base or a task management system. Don't mm. keep all this knowledge to yourself. Give it to people as soon as possible. You know how, guys, sometimes you get a really good website and you open up all these tabs on the top of the of your browser and like you never actually get to watch all of them. You never get to all of them. What I've learned is send them to a few people right away that can potentially use them and hopefully one of those people is in your team. And that's what I'm constantly doing. I'm, I'm finding a good website and I don't have time and maybe I'll have time in the future, but right away I'll send it to a couple of my teams and I'm like, hey guys, what do you think? Let's bring this up next month's meeting. That's it. And I, I, I tell them to bring it up. That's my trick, you know, and, and they know that. And, but they like, and, and I'm not going to blame them if they don't, because it's like they cannot be superhumans. They must, you know, they're, they're my employees. It's not like my, my partner. So I can't expect them to be so much better than me and everything. But I know that my assistant is more organized than me. I know my assistant is a lot more detail-oriented than me because I need that. I'm detail-oriented when it comes to organizing an event, for example. When it comes to following up on every single email and every single person, oh my God, it's a lot to handle. So don't try to absorb it all. Oh, and the good way to take in information, as soon as you learn something, like whatever all of you learned today from me or whenever you're listening to this, the easiest way for you to observe this information is write notes down and tell others about it as soon as possible. So like I saw that Andrew, for example, says he plans to show it to his team. Andrew, don't just show it to your team. Write notes and tell your team about it. And if your team wants to know more, then they can see it themselves. That's very, very different. If you're teaching it, then I'm channeling information. I'm giving it to you and you're passing it on. That's why today my clients are people who don't hold my information in. My clients are leaders of organizations, they're leaders of countries, they're leaders of massive corporations and movements in the world because I know whatever information on business strategy, on network allocation, on networking audits, I give to them, they will pass on to their teams, their families, or their communities right away. Uh, there's a quote, I'm going to horribly paraphrase this, but it goes something like, the one failure of communication is that it's actually happening. That people are communicating, but they actually, and like no, nothing's being digested. And I really like what you're saying about the flow of energy there in that concept. Now, Gil, you mentioned Tony Robbins, your guy, a couple times. We've got T. Robbins on the cover here coming up here. And in this article, when he's talking about a real leader during these challenging times, he talked about the distinction between passion and hunger. So the question I want to leave you with isn't your definition of a real leader. It is what came first for you? Was it passion or hunger? That's interesting. Um, you know, I'm thinking, it's funny when I'm trying to my head to go back and to understand it's like chicken and the egg, what actually support, because passion is something that, you know, I could see myself that I've lost in life. And it's the hunger and the perseverance that brought me back to the passion. Mm. So I would say hunger. I would say hunger. And hunger came from modeling other people. Hunger came from when I was at Tony Robbins events. I was like, 
I'd like to do that. I'd like to have that much passion. I'd like to have that much prosperity. I'd like to be able to add value that much people. So that hunger created the, the, the fuel for the passion because passion for me is something I can get from cooking food. Passion is something I can get from walking in nature or, or taking pictures or playing with my kids. I, I can, I'm a very passionate person in general because I'm a hungry person. You know, I'm hungry for more in life. I'm hungry for more, you know, more service. And I'm hungry to just add more value to the world. And that's an important part, I think, of being a leader. Being a leader, you know, it's funny, but a few months ago, there was a, a very, very famous magazine, uh, high-end, like very luxury magazine in Russia for like the millionaires and billionaires, also called Leaders. It's not called, really, it's called Leaders. And they called me up and say, Gil, we've identified you out of all these people to put you on the cover of the magazine. And they asked me, Talk to us about what makes a great leader inside of the magazine itself. And it was a little bit intimidating for me because a few issues before me, Putin, Vladimir Putin, yeah, president of Russia was on the covers. I was like, holy, okay, I got to come up with what, what leadership means. For me, I very much connected to passion. It's being able to bring passion into your nature, into your, your nation or to your community. Give them life. Give them inspiration. Don't just show them the way, but... Help them sometimes, put them on your back and take them there because people don't want to be pushed. They want to be pulled into. They want to see that that is bright light and that person is maybe going in the right direction. And for me, a beautiful leader is someone that doesn't just motivate. It's someone that actually is walking the path. You know, everything I teach people about networking, I'm constantly trying to improve myself as a networker. Because you know, like a, a good network, a, a good uh, basketball coach, will never play basketball as good as his players. Same thing as a networker. I'm a networking coach. I want to train people to become so much better than I can because it's almost like karmic management. If I could train you to be so much better than I, I'm just going to continuously raise my standards. And that's where I come from. That to me is leadership. Gil, I like that answer. And I appreciate you coming on the Real Leaders podcast today. And so did our audience. Hopefully, we can find you a nice beard trimmer coming up here. And we'll make sure we get you that contact. For Gil Peterson, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there and still passion. Stay hungry. And always, folks, keep it real. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Let's go. All right, good people. Go get your magazines. New Tony Robbins edition out today. Uh real-leaders.com slash subscribe it's called the crisis leadership playbook ceo success in 2021 how to build your future bigger better and stronger a lot of good reads in there a lot of good messages and almost as many inspirational messages as gil was able to lay out today in this episode and we appreciate you hanging on for this one hour six minute and 41 second episode today it was a special one and if you like this episode and you want to hear more inspiring leaders more inspiring business folks talking about networking hard skills you can learn tough times how to overcome them please let us know leave us a review on whatever streaming platform you are listening to and let us know who you want to see on the show. That's it for me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. And always, folks, keep it real.